Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you could join us today. We pray that you're encouraged by today's message from one of our guest speakers. Well, we know, church, that uh, every time you attend church, or if maybe it's your first time, maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe online, you're just checking out our church, wondering what we're all about, or maybe you've been attending online, but you have yet to be here in the room. Whatever it is, all of us at some point know that there's kind of a position, whether you know, you've been here for 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years or not, maybe you can think back to your first time and it might be a little bit you know, intimidating. Church can be a big place. There's lots going on, lots of new faces, lots of new things, new, 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 right? Well, um, I wanted to introduce myself, and it's, it's important that you have a face to the name, and so my name is Tyler. I was on staff here at the Father's House Church for about four years. I was the worship and media pastor, and now I am here in kind of a part-time capacity as the technical director, and um, I love this church. I love church. This church uh, especially means a lot to me and my family, and uh, I'm really grateful for a church uh, and their leadership that equips and empowers uh, a lot of people just like you and our volunteers and our staff, our leaders, to serve in such a way that exemplifies the kingdom of God. And uh, we really are so lucky to serve in a church like this. Um, how many of you guys know that church is so much more than just Sundays, care groups, events, those kind of things? Church is so much more than that. If you haven't had a chance to check out our value statement when you come in the doors, it's just off to the left. It's brand new. It's been up for a couple weeks. And um, our values, our church values are listed all right there as you come in the doors. I encourage you to check those out because that's really what our church is about. And we're jumping into a sermon series where we're focusing and highlighting on those values. And we wanted to leave a little bit of understanding with you about what those values are because they're so foundational to who we are as a church. And so as you come in, make sure you swing by and check those out. Pastor Luke opened up last week preaching on the mission statement of the church, so I'm going to do just a little bit of a recap. But the mission statement of our church is this, is that the Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God and live as disciples who care. Now, whether you've attended church your entire life or not, um, the one thing that's important for you to understand is that relationships are at the core of who we are as a church. Relationships are at the core. And I know from attending a lot of churches and being a part of a lot of churches that unfortunately in some cases that's not always true. But I know that our church, relationships are at the core of who we are. We believe wholeheartedly that God wants to be in relationship with you. God wants to be in relationship with you and he wants you to be in healthy relationships with the world around you as well. And when you really know God, it's easier to live in the world and reflect the kind of values that we're asked to have. The kingdom of God is all about relationships, and so our purpose as a church has to be all about relationships as well. So, you know, if our, if our values, if our purpose was that it was so disconnected from what the Bible, from what God says about what we should be, that would be a big problem. So it's really important that we want you to understand right up at the front that relationships are what we're about. There's three relationships that make up our purpose as a church. Number one is this, relationships with the lost. The Father's house exists to help people find their way home. The bottom line is this, we exist for you. We exist for you, whether you call this church your home, whether you're a guest, this church is for you. We want you to feel home. How many of you know that there is nothing better than a place that makes you feel like home? right? When you walk in the doors, when you smell the smells, when you come in and you're like, ah, home, 
right? Familiarity. It's so important to have a place that feels like home. In a, in a healthy home, you are accepted, you're loved, you're cared for, you're valued, you're encouraged to be all that you can be. And so we want you to ask these questions. We want you to ask why we do some of the things that we do in our church. It's important to look at these things. Why do we serve coffee the way we serve coffee? Why do we welcome you when you come in with a handshake or with a hello? Why do we plant churches? Why do we do church the way that we do church? And when you ask yourself these questions, our hope is that you understand, whether you've been to church or not, that you are accepted, that you are loved, and you are as cared for as possible because we care about you and this place is for you. We want you to find home. We want to help people find their way home. The, third, the second relationship that makes up our purpose is this. The Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God. So relationship with God. And this is the reason that the human family was created, was to know God. And church is not about what we do, but about who we know. And the ultimate purpose of the church generally, and our church specifically, is to help people know God. If we did um, a really good job at putting on events, and putting on Sunday services or Sunday experiences for you, and you left not knowing what God says about you or how we should be living, we would be doing it wrong. Church is not just about experiencing good things with good people. It's also about knowing that there's someone we want you to experience, and that is God. We want you to have a relationship with God. This leads us to our third relationship that makes up our purpose. The purpose the Father's house exists to help people find their way home to God and to live as disciples who care. This is the third one, relationship with believers. We need Christ-centered relationships in order to learn to care. And care is a complicated word, but it actually comes with a lot of association already. We all understand what care means from face value. Care is a word that has meaning to it already. But in terms of our values, it actually breaks out into four different words. C, a-R-E, each breakout into a specific value that we're going to look at. And the church exists to make, to make disciples who care. So we want you to care, but we want to explain how you care, what that actually looks like. Because disciples, they live in the world, they operate in the world, but they live out of the values of the teacher, the one that they've chose to follow. And so they believe to their core that this is the better way to live, that the evidence of that belief is shown in their day-to-day -day life, in their attitude, and in their behaviors. And so we like to say a disciple is someone who cares because that's our clearly defined, our commonly used language within our church. A, a disciple is someone who cares. And so as we kick things off today, I am launching into the first letter of care, C, which is celebrate. And I'm uh, excited to kick things off with this one this morning. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this opportunity this morning to come together and to learn more about you. I pray that we would be open to what it is that you have for each and every one of us, that we would release our expectations so that we can hear from you today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as we look at Celebrate, I got pretty excited. Um, we get the preaching calendar in advance, and Pastor Greg asked if I'd be interested in speaking on this first value. And as soon as he said our first value, Celebrate, I was like, woohoo, celebrate good times, come on, right? Like, I was pumped. As soon as he asked, I was like, I know exactly, everybody, right? Like, I was, I was ready. I was so excited. 
And um, as soon as he asked me about it, I immediately kind of had that initial reaction, and then I immediately had a different reaction where I started to really think about, man, do I, okay, do I really know where he wants me to go with this or, or where, where we should be going? Like, this is a big one. This is the church's values, okay? This is the first value of the church, and um, it's really important. So we're going to jump in this morning, and I'm going to do my best, my very, very best to give you my understanding of what this value is. And the value is this. Celebrate Jesus in every area of your life. A disciple of someone who has Christ at the center of their lives and who has an outlook on life and people that is celebratory, honoring, optimistic, because Jesus is at the center of their life. That makes sense. Sounds good, right? I don't know about you, but I find it pretty hard to be celebratory all the time. I find it challenging, and I've actually really struggled with this in my life. And as a disciple, who's someone who's trying to live with Jesus at the center of my life, honestly, sometimes I, I haven't found it very easy to have a positive or celebratory outlook on many of the situations that I've had in my life. In grade 12, uh, which is you know, a pretty formative year, um, as you prepare to launch into young adulthood, you're finishing off kind of your formal education of the required education of your life anyways, I was really involved. I played football, I was in all the music programs, I was in all the drama programs, and um, I was a lifeguard and swim instructor, and I you know, worked full-time, or part-time, but basically felt full-time outside of school, and uh, I was fully, fully involved. And um, one of the things that we would do usually in October, so first semester grade 12 in October, um, I mark the calendar by seasons, so you know those big meal dates, like Thanksgiving, circle the calendar, right? That's a big meal opportunity, right? So I would circle that one. Uh, Thanksgiving, my church, uh, my home church in Calgary had a classic um, tradition, and it was called the Turkey Bowl Classic. And the Turkey Bowl Classic was a Thanksgiving weekend football game between the young marrieds, uh, the young married men, or the boys, and uh, the married men uh, who, you know, <laughs> grew mustaches and grew their chest hair and they were just like ready and ripped and this event was everything they looked forward to to humble the lives of these young, you know, <laughs> whatever, excited guys. They wanted to just like, I don't know, they came with an agenda for sure. They came with an agenda. And every year um, in my young adulthood as I was growing up, I was playing football, remember? I was excited about this. I, I would condition for this day. I would look forward to this day. I would be in the gym thinking about this day. And uh, this day would come and we just would get smoked, like just absolutely destroyed. And um, <laughs> we would play this game and I was, you know, leaving. I would, as I'm leaving, I'm thanking everybody for this opportunity to get hurt. I don't know why, you know, just like thank you so much for the lessons. Appreciate it. See you next year. And um, we'll carry on with the weekend and back to school the following week. And it was right after this weekend, I tell you the story because it's kind of a, a reminder in my calendar for me. Went back to school and it was the Tuesday after the long weekend and I was walking around the, the school on my way to whatever was next. And I felt this pain really start in my side. And this pain was quite uncomfortable and it was very sharp. It felt like I was being pushed with a knife. Um, I didn't, I've never been stabbed with a knife, but that's what it would feel like, I'm sure. And so I'm <clears throat> feeling this pain and I thought, you know what, maybe I'll go to the walk-in clinic and see if I can get some help. And so I went to the clinic and they said, you know what, it must be gas. You must be struggling with some built-up gas. Um, why don't you go home and just rest? And I thought to myself, well, 
okay, as a 17-year-old football-playing, McDonald's-eating, offensive and defensive lineman, um, I didn't struggle with that department of life, okay? It was a very um, normal thing for me. I didn't really think that this was an area that I was, like, really necessarily needing some coaching in. But um, I, I went home, and I, I said to myself, okay, I'll listen to these wise doctors. Um, and I laid in bed, and the pain exploded to my other side. And I had this sharp, sharp pain, and I'm like, is my appendix about to blow up? Like, is that what happens? Is, is that over here, or is that over here? Like, I don't know. I'm 17, remember? They don't teach you that stuff till then. Um, so anyways, I'm like, I'm struggling. I'm really hurting, and, and uh, the pain is pretty brutal. And all of a sudden, then the pain came to my chest. And when the pain came to my chest, I was like, okay, this is bad. I've got to get this checked out. Ended up at the hospital, the children's hospital. Um, I grew up in Calgary, so I was in my hometown. And I'm in the children's hospital, and I started having these intense back spasms. And these back spasms would start in my lower back and would cause my entire body to tense up and relax and tense up and relax and tense up and relax. And this pain was excruciating. It was unlike anything I'd experienced before. And the doctors would come in, and they were humming and hawing, and they weren't really sure what was going on. And long story short, I remember being back at the hospital again with these spasms going on, and the doctor standing outside the door talking to my mom, saying, we're going to have to admit him. Um, we don't know what's wrong, but we're going to look into it. And so, okay, I'm in the hospital, um, you know, October of grade 12, pretty, you know, intense period of time in my grade 12 education journey. Um, here we go. I don't know what's going to happen. Four days later, um, I had a spasm, and after that spasm, I was completely paralyzed from about my middle hip all the way down on both legs. Um, I couldn't walk. I could barely kind of shuffle across the bed onto the floor. I could do a shuffle and then use my arms. Um, but I landed in a wheelchair. And I was in the hospital, in the children's hospital, um, kind of indefinitely as they began testing and looking into kind of what was causing this situation. And I spent the next couple months learning to quite literally walk again. Um, they would teach me how to use my motor functions so that I wouldn't atrophy anymore. So I would do exercise, required exercises in the pool. They would harness me up and I'd be in the pool. And as a swimmer, it was something that I was doing often. And so they would harness me up and then they would be moving my legs while I'd be moving my upper body and getting a workout in. Trying to anyways, but I lost close to about 100 or 150 pounds and um, was not in a great shape. The results were great. The results were awesome. The way I got there was not good. It was not good at all. Um, but um, yeah, it was not a great season. And, and I remember sitting in the hospital. I remember sitting in the chair, looking out my window, asking God, why? What is going on? What, where was this in the plan? How, how does this have anything to do with what I felt the direction he was calling me to be? I considered myself a disciple of Jesus. I was very involved in the church. I considered it even my, my second home, and I was, you know, I was passionate about it. But, but I found myself in that moment not having the skill set to understand what was happening. And I, I found myself instead saying to God, like, this is, this is brutal. God, what's the purpose? What's the point of this? Why me? You know, all of these kind of questions. And I really, really, really found it difficult in that moment to celebrate Jesus in every area of my life. Not just this one thing that was happening, but in every area of my life, I couldn't celebrate Jesus. What does that even mean in that moment? You see, I expected things to go one way, 
And then they didn't meet my expectations. And this happens to all of us. And what happens is that when, we don't, when things don't meet our expectations, a gap is created, a space is created. And it's in the space of our unmet expectations where frustration and disappointment live. And those things, if unchecked, also grow into things like anger and mistrust, bitterness and sadness. And, you know, we end up being in this position because we expected things to go one way. It didn't quite meet them. And now we find ourselves hurt, doubting. We find ourselves far away and honestly, farthest as possible from celebrating. Farthest as possible from celebrating. And as I was reflecting and praying about this message, um, a guy named John came to mind, John in the Bible, John the Baptist specifically. And um, you might know who John the Baptist is, but if you don't, I'm going to give you a little bit of context this morning because it's important for us and where we're going to go in the story. But there are two couples who were both visited by an angel. And couple number one was Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're this older couple who don't have kids, but they're righteous. And, and one day the angel comes to Zechariah and he tells them, God is going to bless you and your wife Elizabeth with a son named John. And this son of yours is so important because he is going to turn the hearts of God's people back to him and prepare the way for God's Messiah. Who is the Messiah? Well, it was someone they were eagerly anticipating. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. We know the Messiah to be Jesus, right? So we look at this. The same angel goes to Elizabeth's cousin, Mary. Now Mary is engaged to Joseph and the angel comes to her and says, hey Mary, you're going to have a son. Though you're a virgin, you're going to have a son and not only will it be a son, but it's going to be God's son, the Messiah, this coming king, the one who will save the world and free people from all oppression. Now, why I share that is that in the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptist is not only Jesus' cousin, but he's also a very important person in Jesus' mission. And this is what John the Baptist has devoted his entire life to, preparing the way for God's Messiah. Preparing the way for God's Messiah. This is John's message. Now, John's, John's devotion, John's goal, he, he's entirely sold out to that. He has absolutely committed everything in his body to that. And he's living in the desert. He's wearing camel hair. He's eating locusts. He is fully committed and moving with this in mind. And before Jesus even starts his ministry, John starts first. And John is calling the people to repent. He's baptizing people. People are moving. There's a great move happening where there's things, almost like even in worship today, there's, there's a move happening in the room where people are starting to sense, hey, there's something going on here. I want to be a part of that. I want to know what's going on. And there's a stirring that's happening amongst God's people that hasn't happened for a very long time. And God is using John to do it. So much so that when Jesus starts his ministry, Jesus goes to John and asks him to baptize him. That's amazing. Like that's a major event. John has been preparing the way. John has been building up this following of people. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts his ministry and goes to see John and says, I need you to baptize me. That's incredible. Can you imagine? I, I imagine John, if I was John, I'd be like, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptize. Woo! I got to say, I got to baptize Jesus. <laughs> like, can you believe that? Like, add that to the resume. That's exciting, right? Like, that would be the greatest thing. I, you know, in terms of like where you would retire after that, I don't know anybody else following Jesus is baptized would make any sense. Jesus, baptize Jesus, we're good. Like, that's, that's enough. No, John is not like that. He's not like me at all. Instead of being prideful, John was so humble. And as Jesus' ministry is going and people are seeing the healing and the miracles that are happening, they're hearing what he's saying. More and more people 
are going over to listen to Jesus, and less and less people are going to John. Instead of getting jealous, John says, no, he must become greater, and I must become less. Because he knew exactly what he came here to do. John's mission was set. He knew who had his focus, and and that would influence John's attitude. John's focus was set. John knew what his goal was, and that influenced his attitude. And he was called to prepare the way for God's Messiah. If I'm John at this time, I'm beside myself. I'm so excited because everything I hoped for is happening. People are getting healed. People are getting excited about God again. God is moving. God is stirring. And here is the Lord's Messiah after all this time. Here he is. He's here. And John is going to get to see it. He's going to get to see all of it. He, he, this is everything he's been waiting for. Until one day he corrects the wrong person who throws him into prison. Now, if I'm John and I'm in prison, or in my story, paralyzed, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand this. But you better believe I have the hope in the Messiah. Amen? You better believe that John was in a position where I'm sure he was like, man, you know what, I don't understand this, but Jesus is coming to set me free. (laughs) Jesus is on his way. Like, this is no problem. I've got this, this situation, I don't get it, but Jesus is coming. That's the Messiah that I followed, that I signed up to follow. But what happens, church, is not as simple as that. Jesus didn't go and save John from the situation. Jesus instead continues to do his work and heal people, doing his mission, but John stays in prison. So we're going to look at this this morning. Let's look at this together in Matthew 11, verse 2 to 3. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, I'm reading this, and I'm like, whoa, John, (laughs) coming in a little hot on Jesus here. Like, what's happening, right? Like, maybe take ease, ease up a little bit. How did he go from being so devoted to Jesus and so sure to questioning him completely? And I think it's because John was in a situation that he wasn't expecting, John was in a situation that he wasn't expecting because John was expecting the Messiah to come and set people free, not for him to end up in prison. So he questions, like he had this expectation that he was gonna see all the things that the Messiah was doing. And then here's Jesus, there's this gap and you can hear it. You can hear all this emotion in his question. You can hear the frustration. You can hear the disappointment. You can hear the mistrust when he says, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or do we look for someone else? Church, I, I sat in this chair so many days asking the same question. God, are you, are you the Messiah? Or is there someone else? I, I sat in this chair wondering, like, God, you, you made it clear. I thought that there was a plan. I thought that when I committed my life to you that, that there was a There was a way forward that you had called me into a future, into something that I was looking forward to. I gave you my life, God. What now? I thought I was supposed to be a part of what you're doing. I don't understand this. This isn't clear to me. 
when God's not meeting our expectations. It challenges us because, let's be honest, what do we expect from Jesus? What do we expect him to do? God, I expect you to answer my prayer when I want you to. God, I expect you to answer my prayer when I want you to and how I want it done. Jesus, I expect that my life is going to be easier. I expect that you're not going to let anything bad happen to me. I expect that you'll forgive my sins. And then I'll be able to live as a disciple who lives celebrating Jesus in every area of my life. If all that is happening, we are so excited. If, we, if we're at the foot of the cross asking God to lead us, to take our life, to shape us, God, I trust you. I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. But then we leave and we don't trust God in other areas of our life. We're set up for missed expectations, you guys. We're part of creating that gap between what God is doing and saying and what we actually think that he's doing and saying. You know, if God isn't doing what we expect him to do, we question it. It's like, it's like you know, God, do you actually care about me? Do you even see me? <laughs> You're not answering my prayer. So we, we read on in John's disciples. They bring Jesus, John's questions, and this is Jesus' reply starting in verse 4. He says this, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So what is Jesus saying? What is he saying here? He's saying that you go tell John that everything it said that I would do, I'm doing. Everything that you hoped that I would do, I'm doing. Restoration is happening. Healing is happening. Freedom is happening. I'm moving. I may not be doing it the way that you expect me to do it, but I am doing everything that I came here to do. And this is a powerful reminder for John because it said that he heard all the things that Jesus was doing, but he didn't see it. He was in prison. He, he physically, he couldn't see it. It was happening, but he, he could not see it. He physically couldn't see it. And Jesus is telling him, hey, even when you can't see it, I'm moving. Where your focus and your attitude are, determines your ability to experience the fullness of life that is able to celebrate me in every area of your life. Jesus has got the plot right. Celebrating Jesus Christ in every area of our lives sets us apart from the world because it clarifies. It's supposed to change us. It's supposed to shape us to have a different, to have broader expectations of the situations that we face in our life. It's not that life won't be difficult. It's, you know, if, if, if there's a person, um, a disciple who has Christ at the center of their life, it's actually that our outlook will change. It's actually that we have a different outlook on those situations. It's not that the situations will greatly change or shift all the time, but it's the perspective, it's the focus and the way that we respond, the attitude that we have, the evidence, the evidence is different. The evidence of living a life that is celebratory towards what Jesus is doing is different. Less of me, more of you. 
John the Baptist's responsibility was, his responsibility was to preach. He was to preach the coming of the Messiah and to baptize, to baptize those who were, had repentant hearts that were looking for him. And he was faithful to the charge and he deferred to Christ overall in preaching righteousness daily. And John the Baptist poured his life into serving God and exalting Jesus. He preached the word. But when he's imprisoned and his impending death is putting an end to that prolific preaching, all of a sudden things look different. But John being in prison and receiving this knowledge, receiving this word from Jesus, he could, he could ultimately rest in knowing that souls were prepared to receive the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, as God's anointed one. It gets even better as we read on. In Matthew 11, verse 7 to 11. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in kings' palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people that probably at some point started following John. And Jesus is speaking to them. He, he's speaking to John's disciples. Hey, go and tell John that I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. And then he turns to the crowd and he goes, there is no one, no one that I would have rather had come before me than John. John has paved the way. John was consistent. He spoke the truth and he laid the foundation for what I'm supposed to do. It's amazing. Well, you know, as John is preaching and as John is going throughout his ministry, he's not just preaching thoughts and ideas. He's preaching from the word. He's preaching the word that is laying the foundation to what Jesus is coming. And we'll see that as we look, God's perspective and his wisdom in how God's plan is playing out throughout history often takes shape much differently than we expect. You know, they're cousins. Can you imagine? Can you imagine John just sitting there being like, man, Jesus though, like can you... Can you come and let me out because we're cousins at least? Like, <laughs> there is a plan. And God's word offers some foundational truths that should encourage us in our pursuit of a righteous mindset. The first one is this. Is that God does the real work of changing our attitude. God doesn't even ask us to change ourselves, but he will give us the desire and strength to become more holy. We read this in Romans 12 too, won't be on your screen. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Number two is this, is that God gives us a part to play in keeping our attitude right. Since we have free will, we must choose to pursue a right attitude and allow God to show us the way. See, because those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. 
The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. God has given us the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a partner in helping us shift and shape our attitude. Number three is this, is that God gives us opportunities to bless others through a good attitude. The world is full of sinfulness, but God calls us to shine his light into the darkness using righteous words and actions. And we read this in Philippians 2, 14 to 16. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and, warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. God gives us opportunities to bless others through our good attitude. See, church, when we're so focused on what God isn't doing, it's really hard to see what he is doing. When we're so focused on what God isn't doing, it's really hard to see what he is doing. I had, um, I had relapsed for I don't know, the upteenth time, whatever, however many times it was, year, year two. And um, I was not in a good place. I had moved to Lethbridge after graduating high school. I'd moved to Lethbridge um, after taking some time off and started in university. <clears throat> and um, I had a relapse, October actually. And... Um, I'm sitting in a basement suite all by myself, all alone, in the dark, quite literally, and um, I'm not in a good place. And uh, I'm so grateful that I knew the Lord, that I know the Lord, because I knew that I had to be around Christ's followers. I knew that I had to find my way home. And I called my, my mom and I called my grandpa and I said, I think I need to come home. I was scared of letting them down because I had to drop out of university. And they said, it's okay, come home. And I remember coming home and I, I was really frustrated, I was angry. Because this hadn't just been like a moment in time, this had now been years of time spent in this season of unmet expectations. And I was frustrated, I was angry. And um, I remember asking God, what do you want me to do? And I remember having this deep sense that I needed a season of being around um, other believers. And so I searched up online, summer camp church, <laughs> summer camp Christian ministry work. And the top, the top Google result was Camp Caroline. And uh, I called Camp Caroline and said, hey, I don't know if you guys are hiring. It's pretty close to the submission deadline. And they said, hey, great to hear from you. You don't happen to be a lifeguard. I said, well, let me check. It had been a couple years, and I checked my certification, and it ran out the last day of summer camp, August 31st. Summer camp ended August 31st. And I said, yes, I, I am a lifeguard. <laughs> I said, they said, okay, well, we're going to think and pray on this and we'll call you back. And I said, how soon? How quick? And they said, well, we'll call you, Tyler. <laughs> and I said, okay, all right. So we hung up the phone and they called me back and invited me to come to camp. 
I thought, oh my goodness, God, you are doing amazing things. Thank you, God. This is exactly where I needed to be. This is exactly what you have in store for me. But it's still so difficult to understand what God is doing when I'm focused on what he isn't doing. In the middle of the summer, I had a relapse again. And I'm back in, the, in a chair. The camp had to find me a wheelchair. <clears throat> and uh, we're out at a staff retreat weekend, kind of in the middle of the summer, just refreshing as a team. And I'm sitting on the grass um, in my wheelchair and the rest of the group is playing volleyball and um, my wife is playing some other games in the back with everybody else or something. I don't know, at least she was there as well. And we weren't married at the time. But uh, the prayer counselor was sitting beside me and the prayer counselor's name was Pam. And she said to me, Tyler, have you ever prayed about this? And I like looked at her and I was like, yes. <laughs> I did think that would be a good idea. <laughs> and she looked at me kind of more seriously, and she's like, but have you really prayed about it? And I looked at her, <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no, I haven't really prayed about it. I was afraid of really being vulnerable, I think, of opening up to what God might not do. And so uh, she's like, well, let's do it. So I sat on the ground and um, stretched my legs out and pulled myself off the chair and was just sitting there like this. And the camp director was over my one shoulder and Pam's over here and they invited about seven or eight other of my camp friends around me and they all laid hands on my legs and, and uh, the camp director, his name was Jim, he just said, Tyler, what's God saying to you? Just start praying. So we're all praying and I'm listening and all of a sudden, I kind of felt the Holy Spirit tell me, you need to forgive your dad. You see, my dad had um, left when I was 14. And I said to God in that moment, I was like, well, what does that have to do with anything? What, what does this have to do with this situation at all? And I kind of had this internal battle inside. And I finally submitted. And I, I said to Jim, I said, I think I'm supposed to forgive my dad. And he said, we'll do it. So I said, okay, God, I, I think I need to forgive my dad for leaving. <sighs> Rush of feeling back in my right leg. I said, <laughs> I can feel my leg. Everybody is kind of getting excited. And Jim just said, keep praying. <laughs> God, I don't care what the outcome of my relationship with him is. I trust you. <sighs> Guys, I was up playing volleyball within 10 minutes. Within 10 minutes. Yeah. I had never experienced recovery that fast. Recovery had taken weeks, months at a time. And I'm running around and all of our friends are running around and we're, this group of friends is running to the back of the, of the house to tell everybody what happened. And everybody's coming out because they had literally 60, 60 of us staff had seen me in a wheelchair minutes before. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Church, set your eyes and your heart on things above. And God will do more in filling that gap between your expectations than you can imagine. What if what God is doing in your life might be coming in a different way than you expect? But God is currently doing something in someone else's life that is formative and transformative for them. A question that we really just want to implant in your hearts today is who do you need to forgive? Forgiveness is something we ask for when we become a disciple. When we pray and we ask God, God, come in my heart, free me of my sin, forgive me of my sins, help me live a new life. But church, if unforgiveness is in our hearts, how can God do the work that he has planned for us in the foundation if the foundation isn't correct, if the foundation isn't been, hasn't been shaped to understand that what God is doing requires us to be in full submission to him? We have to be in full submission to him to understand that whatever comes, guys, whatever happens, whether I end up in a chair or not, I'm legitimately not worried about it. I'm not concerned anymore. I have not been sick or had a relapse since that day. And whether or not I walk again in the future forever or not, God has great plans for my life. God is going to use me in a way that I can't even begin to understand as long as I'm faithful to him. And church, the same is true for each of you. We're called to celebrate Jesus in every area of our life, not just the areas we're willing to submit to him, but each area of our life so that the fullness and freedom and hope and peace that he has for us will fill us beyond. So yeah, when things get challenging and when things get hard, we're allowed to feel disappointment. We're allowed to feel sadness. We're allowed to be upset. Share that with the Lord. Be honest, be honest and open with the Lord and he will reveal to you something for you in that moment. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.